Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today's guest is... Hey, Nick Loper here from SideHustleNation.com and the Side Hustle Show podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, for coming on. You uh, you have an interesting job um, or occupation. How do you, what do you refer to that as? <laughs> I, I don't even know what it is at this <laughs> point, but very grateful to be able to do what I do, which is essentially kind of unwrapping other people's side hustles and trying to deconstruct, you know, how did you get your first customers? How do you come up with that idea? If you had to start over, what would you do differently? All of those types of questions. And it's turned into a really a full-time business uh, on its own. Awesome. So before we get into all the things that you do, um, where are you from originally? Uh, Seattle. My father, I think my sister still lives out that way. Um, how did you kind of fall into picking apart side hustles? It was the byproduct of a little bit of soul searching. So my original side hustle was this comparison shopping site for footwear that I started you know, really in its early days, like still in college. And then, you know, during my first corporate job, nights and weekends, trying to build this thing up. And then uh, that gave me the confidence to, you know, turn in the keys to my company car and give notice to my boss, like, hey, look, I'm going to go do this shoe thing on the internet, you know, have, thanks, thanks for all your help. And I kind of naively thought that could be my thing. But like a lot of businesses, it had a finite lifespan and it rolled the entrepreneurial roller coaster, lots of ups and downs along the way. But on the side from that started a bunch of other projects, um, most of which for the full sake of disclosure, died a quiet death in some corner of the internet, like just didn't didn't pan out. A couple of those projects did end up having some traction and some legs. One was a directory for virtual assistant services, outsourcing companies, kind of like Yelp for uh, outsourcing companies, what it turned into. And then the other one was a couple years after that was Side Hustle Nation. And this was, you know, in response to asking myself a lot of the questions that I'll turn around and ask listeners and readers is like, well, what do you never get tired about talking about? What are people already coming to you for help with? You know, what do you want to be known for when somebody Googles you? Like all of this type of stuff. And I found that I really got a kick out of, you know, coming up with business ideas and, you know, the whole marketing side of things. And so being able to turn that into a little side project, really from the corner of the living room to now being able to reach, uh, you know, tens of thousands of listeners a week is uh, it's a pretty cool medium. Awesome. I, I I think I'm going to add the title of professional brainstormer to your uh, to list of titles with author and podcaster. <laughs> so what what do you define for you? What defines a good side hustle? I mean, side hustle, broadly speaking, is anything that you're doing to make extra money outside of your day job. And that could be, you know, in generations past, you know, this was moonlighting. This was, you know, buying a rental property, but it was also like delivering pizzas or bartending and stuff. Uh, today, that could be, you know, driving for Lyft, you know, delivering stuff for DoorDash or something. But there's this more entrepreneurial connotation to a side hustle where it's like, okay, there's this upside, there's this scale, there's this, maybe there's this dream or potential that it eventually replaces the day job. And not everybody wants that, but that's, there's that entrepreneurial element to a side hustle that a second job doesn't necessarily have. Got it. 
why do you feel that they're they're so prevalent prevalent today? Um, it kind of seems that, especially since the pandemic blew up, but I think a little before we kind of went into that whole shutdown, the the gig economy was starting to kind of become a, a common phrase in, in a common vernacular, um, and more and more people were working multiple side jobs as opposed to one primary job. What do you think kind of brought that genesis to? Yeah, you see it for a couple of different reasons. One is the, you know, the reactive side in response to, you know, kind of the big three expenses, you know, housing, education, healthcare, right, have gone, you know, through the roof where, you know, uh, real wages, inflation adjusted, haven't kept pace, you know, for a generation. And so there's this gap between what people, what it costs to live and how much a lot of people make. And so there's a natural pressure to, well, there's only so much I can cut. So I got to figure out how to increase my income. So a lot of people are tackling it from this reactive side. And the other side of it, kind of the more fun side is the is the proactive side. You see with the internet, the possibilities that are out there, the different business models that have become made available to you. You see what other people are doing. You tune into other entrepreneurial podcasts and you spark some idea. And that is driving a lot of entrepreneurship as well. The, uh, you know, the side of the equation that says, well, I want to use my free time more effectively, more productively. So maybe I ought to take a crack at this. Got it. I, I have experience in working multiple jobs on top of my primary job. And I think at one point I was counting on the way over here. I think I had six separate side hustles on top of my regular job. That's pretty impressive. Do you, maybe, maybe you shared in past episodes, but can you give me a sense of kind of the stuff that you were working on? Uh, let's see. Um, all at one time, I am loosely called them side hustles, but I was being compensated for when I put my time into them. So I'll call it a side hustle. Uh, I was coaching uh, middle school wrestling. I had my full-time job. I was a uh, throwing coach for a hatchet throwing place. Technically, I still hold my SAG card, so I do background acting every once in a while, or I should say more of my set dressing. Uh, And I'm a part-time EMT uh, for a local town near where I live. So I managed to spread myself a little on a thin side there. Those are really creative. I never knew that there was such a thing as a hatchet throwing coach. What a cool gig. Yeah, it's a, it's a company called Stumpy's. There's, I think, maybe 30 throughout the country. Okay. And it's just a, a fun place that people come and throwing hatchets can be very cathartic. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Um, so you're, you're no stranger to, you know, piecing it together through multiple different income streams. And I don't think that's as uncommon as it was a generation ago. And my, my dad, I think, maybe the last, one of the last people on the planet to spend his whole career at one company. And it's becoming increasingly rare to do that. Yeah, I've noticed that even in the more, we'll call it stable business, um, white collar type of stuff, there's still more movement than used to be. The old mentality was you, you went for comp- to work for a company, you stayed to that company until you retired. And there's, there's a lot more fluidity i guess for some people whether it's there's no movement for them to go up there something happens at that particular job but there's there's not so much that commitment to staying with one place until you retire 
Yeah, and right now we're in the midst of, you know, the so-called great resignation, which isn't people just quitting their jobs and sitting around on the couch. It's, you know, the grass is always greener. So they're taking, you know, kind of diagonal or lateral like promotions and stepping up their earning power in doing so. And we're seeing record low unemployment numbers, which, you know, had you told me two years ago at the start of the pandemic when we saw unemployment spike to 15, 20 percent, I don't know, the numbers were crazy early on and it was really scary to have rebounded in the complete opposite direction within a couple of years. It's, I don't know, it's kind of impressive. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised to a degree to see how quick people wanted to go back. I think I'm the type of person that I can't sit still clearly by the number of side jobs that I was holding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think that people kind of got a little tired of sitting still in, in the same environment, so wanting to get back out and into the workforce. But as you mentioned earlier, there's there's a, we'll call it some complications with that, with the, the reality of getting paid a either what your what you're worth or at least something that you can have one job and be able to make a living which seems to be a very big problem um what if anything do you consider before or would you suggest people consider before they leave their nine to five job for side hustles well i would like to have you see a, a track record of revenue or, or maybe a track record of side hustle profit that at least covers your monthly expenses going back, you know, three, six months. So you have some level of confidence. You're going to be able to repeat that once the uh, comfort of that paycheck goes away. I mean, other people are more, more risk tolerant than me. And they're like, oh, you know, oh, an entrepreneur is somebody who uh, jumps off a cliff and figures out how to build their parachute, parachute on the way down. <laughs> yeah, this is like, uh, maybe Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn or something, his <laughs> quote. It's like, that sounds terrifying. Like, don't do that. You know, you can start low risk. You can start on the side. And that's what it was for me. It was, okay, am I making enough to at least cover my share of the expenses? And, you know, a lot of people want to replace their day job salary. I think that's a great goal. I think that's that's pretty difficult to do in limited hours. You know, kudos to you if you can if you can do it. And we've had some side hustle show guests who've done it. And I was like, hey, where, when did you feel comfortable leaving your job? Oh, when I started making more from my side hustle, like it was, it was almost costing me money to go to work. It's like, oh, well, yeah, I'd, I'd probably quit, quit then too. But, you know, you don't want to go into the hole. So a track record of revenue and, you know, some sort of, you know, savings cushion. The exception to that in my book would be if you have a little bit of traction and you can see how given an extra 40, 50 hours a week to dedicate to it, you could get it to that expense level, that salary level, and, and hopefully beyond assessment. I think one of the things that might hinder people from either pursuing kind of the multiple side hustle thing or, or at least venturing out is the fact that healthcare in America is, is tied to employment. And I think that may be one of the biggest mistakes that our government did because it, it puts you dependent on somebody else for your healthcare. And yeah. given the environment of, of some of, we'll call it the, some of the cultures in, in some companies, um, to to be beholden to somebody who on a whim could fire you, it's not a fun position to be in. Um, it's not. It's weird. You know, I haven't you know fully researched the the origins of the system, but it. I imagine if you could decouple it somehow and maybe you, you know, 
you do it in stages, you know, so you don't just like rip off that bandaid all at once. But like if you could decouple uh, insurance from employment, you probably see this blossoming, this explosion in entrepreneurship, because all of a sudden where, you know, if I want to go buy my own insurance on the exchange for my family, it's like maybe 1200 bucks a month, like maybe even more. And that's yeah. like for pretty crappy coverage. And so it's like, uh, it, it's a huge barrier. It's a huge burden on a lot of families. And so that is definitely a deciding factor for people sticking around. Sometimes at jobs they don't like that are unfulfilling where it's like, you know, had we removed this one thing, you know, this old antiquated system, I'm totally with you there. Yeah. It, it's, that's a, a topic for a whole nother conversation, <laughs> but I have many, many thoughts on it. Um, but I digress. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was given some wise words of advice, uh, and I, I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, any day that ends still breathing and learning something new is, is always a good day. Um, I, I bring that up because you kind of alluded to something similar to you like to learn something new every day. Um, do you kind of make it a point to learn something new, or is it just kind of organically happen as you go through your, your normal daily routine? It just kind of happens. I think that's the nature of running a business where your job as the entrepreneur, or the business owner is just to figure out the the answer to solve this problem. And I think that's one reason I've been able to stick with it as long as I have is this ability to figure it out. You know, whatever, you know, barrier or ceiling you're kind of up against is is almost by nature something that you haven't dealt with before. But probably somebody on this planet has. So you can seek out the answer or seek out their wisdom and advice. It's definitely a challenge to keep going, but just by nature of doing the work, you find that, you know, the people that you connect with, I'm always learning new stuff, whether it's from interviews like this one or, you know, me pointing the mic at somebody else. I'm always like, you know, I'm taking a ton of notes during these calls and it's really, it's really rewarding. And it's cool to be able to share that with a bunch of other people too. I'm I'm a big fan of of just learning in general about anything and everything, um, so I, I'm kind of in that that same vein where I'll not actively seek out, but I tend to notice that oh, I didn't realize that or I didn't realize that, and then kind of just lock in my brain for some obscure trivia game. <laughs> What Isn't uh, it funny, the stuff that you like store <laughs> back, you know, like, oh, I remember how, you know, if you burn this one tree down in Zelda or something, <laughs> it like, you know, opens up a, you know, a secret shop or like, why is this occupying brain space at this point? I don't know. Uh, the amount of video game stuff that's <laughs> occupied my, in my, in my brain pan is uh, probably a little on the insane side. And I tend to recall things at the most obscure times. Like my wife will ask me something and, you know, about a conversation we had a day or two ago and I... I'll just blank on it, but then I'll just spit out something completely ridiculous, ridiculous from, you know, years ago. And yeah. I get that perplexed look of who are you and, and, and why does that happen? What are some of the common mistakes or, or misconceptions that people have around building a side hustle? Mistakes or misconceptions? Uh, probably the biggest mistake. Well, I mean, lots of mistakes. <laughs> um, uh, one of the things that I see is this tendency to, you know, wait for the you know, lightning strike of inspiration, you know, waiting for this perfect business idea to come along. The perfect business idea is one that you are willing to take action on and one that you have some proven 
validation of demand for, right? So, you know, I've had emails from people who you know, say, oh, you know, I'm, my website is almost done. Uh, you know, I've got 30 grand into developing this project and it's almost done. And I want to be like, you know, first off, like a website, it's never really done. It's kind of like this living document, but, you know, putting that aside, $30,000, like what does this website do? Do you have any customers? Like it just stressed me out. Um, so the, uh, the waiting for, you know, the perfect business idea, because I think if you can, I don't know, like <laughs> the, the most successful entrepreneurs that I see, like aren't necessarily coming up with never before seen ideas. They're taking something that somebody else has done. They're putting their unique spin on it. Even, even locally, think about like how many dry cleaners are in your town. Hey, you know, if they've been in business for more than a year, they're probably doing okay. Yeah. It's not anything curve jumping, not necessarily particularly innovative. Um, so that's something that I see that holds people back. Um, I see people, you know, spending way too much time and thought on, you know, logos and business cards and websites, like before going out and trying to find a customer. I see people just, yeah, that, that stuff stresses me out. Um, not telling people what you do, like this hope. And I was the same way, especially like with my, you know, first, you know, few blog attempts was like, I, you know, I kind of want people to read this, but I don't want people who I know to read this. Like I want, you know, this, these mythical, like random strangers on the internet to somehow find this. And it's like, I don't know anything about SEO, so this is not going to happen. Um, and so there's like, I think I see people kind of, you know, they're really timid about, you know, I'm sticking my flag in the sand and I'm going to go do this thing. But a lot of it spreads word of mouth early on, you kind of rely on your network and in particular your network's network. Like who do the people, you know, who do they know? Right. And those are kind of your warm sources of initial leads, but if they don't know what you're doing, then it's really hard for them to make that referral. Yeah. I think the, the phrase of, you know, waiting for the perfect time, it pops up a lot in life in general, you know, waiting for the perfect time to have a kid, waiting for the perfect time to have a, get married, waiting for the perfect time to do this. It's such a subjective and almost fleeting thought um, that I, I think some people just need a, that little push off the ledge just to jump into the pool and, and get get acclimated and, and start moving. Yeah, my friend has a shirt that says, you know, a year from now, you're going to wish you started today. And I think that's true in a lot of cases, like it's only going to get more crowded. It's only right. going to get more competitive. And by the way, you're going to have another 365 <laughs> days of learning and education if you start today. So I think there's a lot of truth to that. And, and the other point that you brought up about, you know, people not telling what they're doing, you know, I think some of that is rooted out of if they do have a primary job and there's fear that their new, their boss is going to find out about it and, and somehow uh, some way get in trouble for you know, trying to better themselves, God forbid. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, the timidness could be, you know, they're afraid that if it fails, they don't want to look bad to their friends and totally it, it's, it's a frustrating downward spiral, I guess, or it's, it a, it's more of a wheel. <laughs> what do you think are some of the things that, that separates those who are successful and, and those who aren't successful? The one thing that stands out over, you know, most 500 episodes at this point is this willingness to experiment, this willingness to step in and take that first step, even if you don't necessarily know where that path may lead. And that's something that we've seen over and over again from guests is like, 
I, I don't know, I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to see what kind of reaction it gets. A friend of mine likened it to like the first move in a chess game where it's like, you just kind of move your little pawn out there, see what kind of reaction it gets. And then you kind of adjust course from there. So I like that. And we found from, you know, dozens and dozens of examples that, you know, really opportunities become visible once you're in motion. You hear these types of stories where, well, I was working on this project and, you know, during the research for that, I, you know, stumbled upon this other idea or, you know, it was this other conversation that, you know, triggered this other thought. And then I, you know, went off in this direction and started uh, having those types of conversations. And so we see that over and over again. And that was like how the virtual assistant site that I mentioned earlier kind of came into being. I was researching one of my failed side hustles, this wine related site that I had no business creating. I don't know anything about <laughs> wine, don't care about wine. Um, but I came across this like wine club review site. I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. So they put up a little blurb about this wine club and they would solicit like user reviews of this. And then they would send people off with their affiliate link. It's like, oh, you know, what other niche could I pivot this to? Could I apply the same model to? And that was the origin of this virtual assistant directory. So uh, that's definitely one thing that sets people apart. I'm trying to think of something else. It's, yeah, this experimenter's mindset and this willingness to fail, essentially. It's like this willingness to, you know, and, and recognizing, like, if as long as I keep my downside low, if I manage my risk and the the swing that I'm taking has a big enough upside, it's only a matter of time until I find something that connects, you know, right. it's somebody put it that way. It's like the law of, you know, wealth growth basically is like, as long as you minimize your risk and you take enough swings, you're going to be okay. I, I think that's, that's a very fair point. The, the whole idea of, of mitigating risk is, is crucial, not just in, in job ventures, but kind of in everything. Um, Finding a, a niche that you like and, and exploring ways to profit from it is, I think, a more realistic definition of what the American dream is as opposed to what it used to be. What are some of the more surprising or creative avenues that people have turned into high side hustles that you've come upon? So one that always comes to mind is this uh, history teacher in New York, and his side hustle was renting out portable hot tubs. And I was like, Really, I had no idea this was a thing. And this sent me down this whole path of like unconventional rental businesses. Because I was like, you know, I kind of thought a rental business is, you know, buy a three bedroom, two bath house and you rent it out and hopefully you profit on the spread uh, between your mortgage payment. But he was like, no, you know, so I buy these hot tubs and, you know, maybe they're, you know, a couple grand if you get them used and then you rent them out, you know, on a week or a, a bi monthly basis. And, you know, he had this fleet of like 25 or 30 hot tubs. And I was like, where do you keep all these things? And he's like, I, I don't. They're like, they're rented out all the time. You know, maybe I have one or two in the backyard or something. I was like, okay. So that one came to mind. I see a lot of opportunity in the like local service space right now, local home-based services. We just had a guy on, uh, Johnny Robinson, who goes by at Squeegee God on Twitter. He's worth a follow. Um, I interviewed him on his last day of college where he had built this window washing company to like several hundred thousand dollars in revenue as a full-time college student and kind of followed the model of I'm going to be a better marketer, a better administrator, and I can go find people who know how to clean windows, right? And kind of playing this matchmaker game and setting customers up on recurring contracts. Hey, we'll come back a couple times a year, um, doing really what I thought was intelligent things, uh, partnering with, you know, other service providers who were already doing business with his target customers, like 
interior home cleaners. Like, hey, these people are already investing in taking care and maintaining their home, but they don't they don't do what we do. So, you know, hey, would you mind passing us a referral fee if you know, or could we pass you a referral fee if you sent business our way? So he was really inspiring. I think there's a lot of opportunity in that local home service space, especially if you're not in, you know, a huge, huge metro area, just because so much of the entrenched competition there is they're running outdated, you know, they're they're not as digitally savvy maybe as you are. And on the the flip side there, I think the pie keeps growing as more and more homeowners, you know, have limited time. And they're like, I just want to delegate this stuff. Like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Like uh, somebody gave me the stat, like, you know, 20 years ago, only 5% of homeowners uh, would, would hire out like a lawn mowing service. And today it's something like 40%, which is just, it's staggering. So the pie just keeps getting bigger. So you're not necessarily having to go out and conquest uh, market share from somebody else. It's right. uh, a growing, a growing uh, area of the economy. What are some of the more important skill sets that you think uh, entrepreneurs should be possessing or at least working on? Yeah, this is an interesting one. My stance on this has definitely evolved over time. If you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have told you sales, like sales, like nothing happens until somebody sells something, you know, go out and sell it. This was, that was kind of my background, like cold calling, knocking on doors, trying to sell paint jobs in college. Um, if you asked me five years ago, I would have told you creativity. Um, you know, before you have anything to sell, you got to create the thing. And, you know, it's this, you, what are you going to bring forward into the world? Um, Today, where I'm kind of at is it's this skill of learning new skills. It's this meta, you know, being a, a student of life, being a student of business, practicing just in time learning and figuring it out as you go. I think that's really one thing that separates the people who, you know, start something and then they get stuck and then they give up to the people who start something and then they run into an obstacle and they say, oh, a new, a new challenge. Let's figure this out. I think I think problem solving, you know, logically dissecting a problem or an obstacle. Um, it seems to kind of be lacking nowadays. Um, and I've had some conversations with some educators and, and we, we kind of agree that they, they need to refine and, and kind of adjust how they set up educational curriculum, at least for high schoolers. Um, I, I think there's more, more valuable life lessons that they can be taught than some of the things that they're requiring. Um, I was actually thinking about this earlier that at least for my son's high school, they have to take, I think, three years of a foreign language. Okay. And I, I don't necessarily see the need for that. And again, this is just my, my perspective, my myopic view on things. Um, but I'm not sure that forcing every student to take three years of a language is a good use of their time that's already minimized and kind of set up more for learning to take tests as opposed to teaching them to think critically, teaching them, you know, about personal finance, teaching them about things that will truly benefit them in life, how to change a tire, how to, how to make eggs, basic, basic living (laughs) skills. Yeah, totally. Oh, I was, I don't know. I was the person, you know, where we had a similar like uh, foreign language requirement. Maybe it was for college admission. I got to have a couple years of uh, of foreign language, you know, to apply for college. I was like, this is this is so dumb. Like everybody speaks English, but I ended up taking Spanish. I ended up taking it for four years. Ended up using it 
at work, at, um, at this other business, you know, the painting business as well. And it ended up like, you know, opening up this other part of my brain, used it a ton when I traveled. It was something that I definitely was definitely like that was dumb going into it, but ended up really appreciating later in life. So hopefully your son has the same experience going, going with his language studies. He's, uh, he's doing well. He, uh, he's actually had tears in high school. Plus he had two and a half years in middle school. Um, oh, wow. But, uh, he, it's just funny cause he comes home. He's like, well, we have to do this and we have to do that and we have to do this and this is stupid. And I don't think we need this. And my response typically is, well, you got to do what the teachers are telling you to do to get through, and then you can go do what you want. Whether you go to the military, whether you go to college, whether you jump right into the workforce, I don't care. Those are your three options. Go figure it out. And I'm here if you need anything. I I jumped from high school, and actually when I was in high school, I went to a trade school part-time. So I was fortunate enough to, while finishing my high school, I got a degree in electrical construction to become an electrician. So I, I had a trade that I had learned while I was in high school. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I love that idea. I, I think we need to stress that a little more because you're always going to need builders, plumbers, electricians, and people like that. And when I was in high school, the big push was everybody has to go to college. College isn't for everybody. And a lot of the kids that I knew that felt overwhelmingly compelled to go to college, usually dropped out within the first semester, if not the first year. Yeah. I don't know. You think uh, maybe we're already starting to see a shift from there, given the rising cost of college to say, uh, let's think twice about this or, you know, what alternatives are out there, especially if you can go learn a trade and make six figures. Like, well, why did I have to go into (laughs) a hundred grand in debt to get this degree that may or may not be worth anything when I come out? Right. I think that was the other, the other pushes people are kind of starting to look back and go, and I'm going to go into the tripling debt and get a degree in something that I may or may not be able to even find a job to. Right. That's another, I mean, talking about, you know, how do, how do we encourage entrepreneurship in this country? Like right. we talked about the health insurance thing, but the student debt thing is another one. It's like, okay, I got to stick with the, you know, so-called safe job because I got this burden of debt over my shoulders. It's uh, another, definitely another factor. Well, what do you suggest for people so they don't get become burnt out from their various hustles? You, first of all, find something that is in alignment with where you want to go. So you have to ask yourself, I mean, a lot of people are kind of centered and maybe naturally so on the failure question, like, you know, how much is it going to cost me? What happens if it fails? How bad is that going to sting? You know, what's that going to look like? But equally important is the, well, what happens if this works question, you know, project out three, five years down the road and say, okay, if this works and is reasonably successful, is that a win for me? Like, is that get me closer to the lifestyle that I ultimately want. And probably the easiest way to do that is to try and find somebody who's three to five years ahead of you and either, you know, from the outside looking in, well, what does their day-to-day look like? Or even calling them up and asking, like, hey, could I shadow you? Or, you know, what, are you happy with how this has gone? Because the last thing that you need is to build yourself into this uh, second job that you hate. So I think that's a really important consideration. I'm I'm fortunate currently to to work at a job that, I think for the first time in my life, I have a job that has like zero stress, <laughs> which is quite a relief given the jobs that I've had in the past. Um, yeah, that's great. I, I think 
you mentioned the, the, the thought of fear of failure, and I, I think that's kind of a, a prevailing notion is, is people are afraid to fail. But one of the things that I used to kind of really drive into the kids when I coached them in wrestling is, you know, don't be afraid to fail. It's how you learn. If you, if you don't try something, you're never going to know if it's going to be a successful move. Sometimes you have to work a little more harder at it, but you have to at least be willing to, to try things before you give up. Yeah. And so it's, it's like, what if it works question? What am I going to learn from that? Even if it doesn't work, I think that's really important. But also this question of, does it, does it have scale? Not, and maybe it depends on your goals too. Like if you are happy making an extra 500 bucks a month, maybe it doesn't have to scale. But if you want something to ultimately stop having to trade time for money, like, okay, is there a path to get there? And recognizing that maybe it doesn't start that way. You know, there's, maybe and you know for service-based businesses it's it, you can start this like little mindset shift early on instead of i you know i'm gonna go walk dogs as a side hustle like i'm gonna start a dog walking company instead of you know i'm gonna go uh, pressure wash people's driveway okay i'm gonna start a pressure washing company so that little subtle shift it prevents you from falling into what i would call like the freelance trap especially you see it online. Okay, I'm going to sell my own skills in graphic design or copywriting or web design. Um, and then you end up kind of building yourself this job, which is cool. And maybe that's, maybe that's what you like to do. But ultimately, you know, it's still time for money. And so I was yeah. like, okay, how do you, um, how do you separate yourself from that? If that's the, if that's the end goal and that's Warren Buffett, like, Hey, if you don't find a way to make money in your sleep, you're going to work until you die. Yeah. I don't think anybody wants that. So <laughs> you know, trying to carve out a piece of that revenue pie that's, you know, a little bit more time leveraged, um, whether that's, you know, building up a rental portfolio, dividend portfolio, or, you know, building this side hustle piece of it that is decoupled from your time, at least in some way. And maybe that's like doing the fully speculative work up front where that was the podcast for me. That was the blog for me. That was a lot of these projects where it's like, I'm getting paid nothing or I'm getting paid so far below minimum wage to do this early on. It's laughable, but it has scale. And so, you know, it takes the same effort to produce the show that 10 people listen to or 10,000 people listen to. It's, it's, you know, something that, that has some upside potential. Yeah. I think one of the things that I've noticed over the last few years is there's, I don't know if it's just an, an ignorance or, people just undervaluing the idea that a creator's time is worth something, you know, and I think Fiverr is a good example where, you know, you have these artists, graphic artists that are putting the work out there and people don't understand that, that that took some time and energy and, and there, there is some intrinsic value to it. Yeah. It, it kind of goes along with respect. So if, if you created something and you tell me that it's, you know, $25, um, I, I shouldn't ask you to bring your price down to, to make me more comfortable because your time is, is valuable. And, and it's not just with artists. I mean, it's, it's with um, you know, the last job that I had in, in a computer business. They didn't want to pay for the time to come and do or see what the job was going to entail totally. And they expected everything to be like free consultations. Well, that's kind of not, how things work all the time in this day and age yeah um, and have an appreciation that you know the time to go to the whatever that site is the time it takes to look around and, and get a, a good 
grasp of what the job is going to entail and, and put some time to that, you know, charging somebody a nominal fee to that is kind of a necessity. It is. It's interesting. So we're going through kind of a remodel process here. So we had a designer over this week. And it seems to be two schools of thought. You know, this first designer that came by was like, hey, you know, free initial consultation. And then we'll put together this like bid package for, you know, redrawing your kitchen or something. And the other designer was like, okay, that initial consultation is 750 bucks or something. And, you know, just two different ways to go about it. And, you know, so first we're like, well, let's at least get the free person's advice for not necessarily advice, but just like have her come over and get a sense for, is this somebody we could see ourselves working with? And I see people doing the same thing with, um, like in the photography space, this is my wife's, that's like my wife's side hustle is photography. <laughs> and so you see people, you know, they'll do, you know, they'll do the photo shoot for free, but then they'll charge you like 80 bucks for every picture or something right. crazy. And it's like, no, we're just going to charge you like what we think our time is worth for the, for the shoot. And then all the pictures are free. You can have them. Right. Like we already took, we already took the pictures and just like, it's interesting how different people go about it in different ways. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of mitigating factors to go into making that decision. Are, are you a free consultation type person business or are you a, a fee up front? Are you a fee up front that we will tie into whatever the services are that you get? You know, there's, I, I understand that there's a lot of working parts to that. Um, but it's, it's just, there's, there's a, a disconnect I've seen a lot where people just don't understand or respect the time and energy that you put into to doing something that they've asked you to do. And then they're complaining about the, the cost of it. Yeah. My friend Kai was selling like freelance SEO services or SEO consulting. And he started charging up front for these like road mapping sessions. He called them, I think it was like 500 bucks. You know, we'll come in, we'll give you a uh, an audit of where you're at today and we'll come up with this proposal like step by step what we need to do to get you where it is and at the end of the proposal is like the price for the actual engagement but he's like since i started doing that you know the quality of clients that i get are so much better because this is a lot of the upfront work that i was going to have to do anyways but now i'm getting people to pay me for it up right. front and it was such a higher caliber of uh, of customer for him an evolution of his business yes <laughs> you kind of mentioned it before about trying to talk to somebody that's in the the space that you're trying to move into as either working as a shadow. And I, I kind of laugh to myself for a second because there's always that question in, in most job interviews of where do you see yourself in five, 10 years? And, and I, you know, finding somebody that, that's in that niche of yours and, and seeing what they've done, not necessarily a step in their same footprints, but at least kind of tread along in their shadow, I think is a good idea. Yeah, I've been very grateful to have some virtual mentors in the podcasting space, in the personal finance space, where it, it took me a long time to figure this out. But like, wait a minute, what, you know, what's working for them? Like, oh, they rank, you know, when you type in these keywords, their website shows up. Like, how come mine doesn't show up? Like, oh, okay, I need to figure this out. And that's apparently in a very important part of their business or, oh, they're collecting emails by doing this, or this is the type of content they're sending out in their emails. It's just like, you figure a lot out just by paying attention. We had a guy who started a a virtual call center, like a completely remote distributed, you know, customer support team. And he's like, I would listen to you know, every interview that the, uh, the founder of Ruby receptionists did, you know, this is a, you know, one of the pioneering virtual call centers. I think they're out of Portland and 
you know, so she would give these interviews and not that she would like let any you know, insider secrets slip, but over time you just get a sense for like the different metrics that she was keeping track of and how the business operated. And he's like, man, I just learned a ton just by kind of like virtually job shadowing her. I think that's, that's, it takes the right person to be a mentor. And I think it, uh, there's a lot of people out there who have the knowledge they can help other people be successful in, in a number of things, but they kind of feel it's almost like they're greedy with and like a gatekeeper of that information. They, they feel that it it's not a good thing to share that information, which I think is counterintuitive because you're not going to be around to do it all the time. You're not going to be always be the one that somebody goes to. So why not kind of, spread the wealth a little bit, so to speak, and, and, and share the information that you have that could very well help somebody become a little more comfortable in, in the uncomfortable life that we have right now. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see why people don't do it. You know, there's the scarcity mindset that you're alluding to, but there's also, you know, if there's not a lot of barrier to entry, like, I don't know that I necessarily want to give my would-be competition or my future competition a leg up on this. So I I get where it's coming from, but we also see from a lot of people kind of the benefits of working in public and establishing some credibility that way. It oftentimes spins off, you know, completely new opportunities that otherwise, you know, would never have opened up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, obviously it depends on what the occupation or the, the job type is. But if there, there's a lot of things out there I think that anybody can do, and you don't necessarily need to, to be that that gatekeeper. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's jump into some fun would-you-rather questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> First question. Would you rather be able to speak to animals or every language in the world? Every language in the world. I think I'd rather speak to animals. I've I've had my tolerance. I've had my fill of people, so I just want to talk to animals. We're probably getting pretty close <laughs> to like the Star Trek, like Universal Translator. Yeah. I feel like I saw an ad, you know, for this little like earbud device thing that would essentially translate it almost in real time. So I've maybe, seen those maybe learning languages. Uh, maybe it's going to be a dying art here, becoming obsolete. Hopefully, <laughs> sooner, the sooner we can get that Star Trek thing, the better. I'll be happy. Uh, would you rather have a rewind button or a pause button in your life? We've been asking for the pause button lately. We had this trip to Southern California lately with our, with our kids. And there was a lot of these just, you know, never grow up moments where they're just, just being kids and they're being adorable. And it's like, okay, just, you know, would you stop growing for a second? So I feel like we could use the pause button every now and again. How old are your kids? If I may ask. Uh, six and four, you hear him screaming in the background. <laughs> I, I have a, well, my oldest is 16 and my youngest is 13. So I, I can absolutely attest that they'll shoot up in, in a blink of an eye. I think yeah. my, my youngest grew five inches in the last six months. Wow. <laughs> he's going to be taller than me in any, any week now. He's just going to yeah. wake up and I'm going to be looking up at him. Um, would you rather... Be able to read someone's mind or control their mind? Oh, gosh, mind control sounds so evil. Um, <laughs> but it's also dangerous to know what people are thinking, too. Um, I would probably err on the... Oh, God, yeah, see, I feel like I don't want to manipulate people in that way. But being able to read their mind might help you know understand where they're coming from and open up some better conversations. 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in that same boat. Uh, the, just the the concept. Maybe it's just all the movies that we've grown up on, but the idea of controlling somebody's mind is just seems inherently evil. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I promise to use these powers only for good. It's like, yeah, what? that's how it always starts. <laughs> You're not doing what I want you to do, so I'm going to control you. Uh, let's see. Would you rather give up cursing forever or give up ice cream for ten years? Yeah. Cursing, like I don't, I don't, I don't swear that much. I don't think, I don't think that's worth giving up ice cream for. Um, I'm uh, off air. I, I'm. I don't think I could give up cursing. It's just, it, I've, I've kind of made it an art form sometimes. So yeah. I could, I'd have to give up the ice cream for the, uh, for the ten years. So where can people find find your show and 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 keep on following you and get more information from you? You bet. Of course, uh, you know, would be honored if you tuned into the Side Hustle show. You can find it in every podcast app. SideHustleNation.com is the home base. If you are in the market for a side hustle idea, I've got a full laundry list of them for you at SideHustleNation.com slash ideas. My hope is you know, no opt-in required over there. Just, um, you know, get the creative juices flowing. Hopefully you have, uh, you know, five or ten different tabs open by the time you make it down to the bottom of things that uh, might be might be worth a second look. Awesome. I will make sure that people can access that. And I thank you very, very, very much for your time. You bet. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.